Northwestern Medicine, relentless in their pursuit of better health care. Learn more at nm.org slash better. Time for a look at the week in health. And uh, joining us again by popular demand, Dr. Jeremy Silver, the medical director of emergency medicine at Northwestern's Kishwaukee Hospital in DeKalb. Dr. Silver, how are you, my friend? Welcome back to the show. Oh, good morning, Dean. Thanks for having me again. I appreciate it. You going to be watching the Super Bowl today? Yes, my kids are, are very excited, uh, and uh, and so am I. It's nice to nice to have this time of year again, and, and we love football, so pretty pretty pumped for the for the Super Bowl. Now, as a doctor, do you when you're watching the show, are you uh, pointing out potential uh, injuries? You know, and things that uh, you know could be happening. There's a there is a lot of a criticism of how physical the game is. Certainly on a high school level, college level, that's where you know most of the scrutiny is. But are, are you watching that and going, "Ooh, that looked like that could have been a yeah"? Can you diagnose from 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 the screen? <laughs> Sometimes you can. You definitely <laughs> like to play that that game when you're in med school of uh, walk down the street and diagnose the person. But I actually. I, I'll tell you that, that I try to shut my my medical brain off when I'm at home, especially when I'm when I'm around my kids. Uh, but when I see a big hit, like like a hit to the head, it does it, it makes you queasy inside because yeah. you just know what the potential is for for head and neck injuries in, in those types of uh, collisions. Yeah, exactly. Now you know today is one of the biggest party days of the year. A lot of people the the biggest trend now, people calling out sick for tomorrow because they're planning on going overboard for today. It's become one of the biggest party days of the year. Um, you know, what, what kind of caution can, can you give uh, people for who may be over, well, overindulging a little bit today, especially as an emergency room uh, doctor? Yeah, I mean, I, 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 on the one hand, you know, we're, we're here for it and, and ready for folks if they, you know, end up going over the, over the line. Um, but, but, you know, it's not, it's not safe. You can really actually hurt yourself. Um, and, and, you know, it can be lethal, uh, over, overindulging in alcohol. Um, but, you know, as far as work goes, Hey, we, we all, we all committed to, to be there for each other. So I'm, I'm definitely not in favor of, uh, of playing hooky. Yeah. The, as far as, uh, overindulging, I've always heard, you know, for new year's Eve or like the big party day, St. Patrick's day, et cetera. Uh, to alternate whatever alcoholic beverage that you may have with water to try to, to try to stay hydrated. That's the big uh, thing that you ought to be doing today. Does that sound like good uh, advice? Yeah, I think one for one is definitely not a bad idea. So if you're if you're going to reach for a beer, you know, have have a nice glass of water afterwards. It'll fill your stomach up and make you less likely to to continue uh, pushing the alcohol. But you know, really, it's uh, moderation. Everything in moderation. That's my motto. Um, I didn't make it up, but I certainly live by it. Yeah, no, it's it's always uh, good advice, uh, even though a lot of people are definitely not going to follow it. Uh, so, a couple of the big uh, medical stories this week uh, that I wanted to uh, touch on. Uh, one it was the very untimely death of country singer Toby Keith who uh, lost his battle earlier uh, last week to stomach cancer. And uh, it, it's, it, it's not a cancer that we hear about very often. Uh, how prevalent is stomach cancer? How do people know if they you know, might be dealing with something like that? Uh, can, can you give us uh, 
you know, kind of an overview of uh, uh, dealing with stomach cancer? Yeah, sure. Yeah, sad to hear. I'm, I'm sorry that that, that, that had happened. Um, so stomach, you know, stomach cancer is not a, a high, um, it's not high up on the list in terms of, um, you know, the numbers of cancers in the U.S., uh, around a, a percentage and a half of all cancers diagnosed in the U.S., and, and typically uh, in adults uh, greater than 50. Uh, so this year, the American Cancer Society estimates around 27,000 new cases of cancer, just to give a, a number. Um, but something that we're seeing, um, and, and certainly folks are probably reading about this in the news, is that there are rising numbers of stomach cancer among younger people. Um, and so it's, uh, you know, one could look at it as a disease of bad luck, um, as one physician has, has referred to it. Um, there, there may be some association with chronic heartburn and an infection in the gut called H. pylori, which I can talk about a little bit more, um, but, but unclear. And um, there are certain uh, ethnic groups, uh, such as Asians, who are more prone to stomach cancer for a variety of reasons, genetically, primarily. Um, and, and unfortunately, even though it's rare, the, out, the outcomes are typically not great. So it's certainly not, not a disease uh, that anyone relishes and, um, and something that you need specialty treatment for, surely. Yeah, you mentioned H. pylori. What, what, does, what is that? So H. pylori uh, is a um, it's a bacteria that that lives in the gut um, in many folks and can cause an infection that leads can lead to uh, to symptoms of GERD or gastroesophageal reflux disease, otherwise known as heartburn. Um, so, and I'm not sure what the percentage is, but a significant percentage of cases of of heartburn or, or ulcers can be linked back to to that bacteria. And there's a thought that potentially the inflammation stemming from a chronic infection of the bacteria that isn't identified could potentially lead to cancer. Cancer, just to take a step back, 50,000 foot view, what is it? It's an overgrowth of cells in the body. So you have one cell uh, that basically cells have a life cycle and they divide in a certain cadence. Um, so as you, you know, as you're going through life, your skin cells are falling off as you touch things and move about the world. Likewise, your stomach cells are sloughing off or falling off as you're eating food and digesting, and then new cells come and take their place. Uh, well, cancer is a dysregulation of that uh, cell division, which continually repeats itself, and it gets, away, it gets out of control. The, the brake, if you will, on the car fails. Uh, alternatively, the accelerator on the car uh, goes, gets stuck. So between the brake and the accelerator in the cell, um, if one or both are dysfunctional, then the cell is just dividing uncontrolled in a crazy manner, and then you get a, a huge collection of irregular cells that do things that aren't predictable, and that's cancer. You mentioned that some of the symptoms may uh, present themselves as good old heartburn, uh, acid reflux. How do, you, how do you know the difference between something uh, that is mild and something that could be potentially very dangerous? Well, a, a great question, and, and this will be very frustrating for your audience, as it is for us in the medical profession. You, you often can't tell the difference between uh, something that seems like a run-of-the-mill benign case of heartburn and something that might be more sinister, like a cancer. And so the key is don't let the symptoms go on too long. 
Um, you know, if you're one of these folks that every time you have pizza, you get a little bit uncomfortable, you have a Tums and, it, and it's better, probably not cancer. On the other hand, if you, you've been kind of going along in your life doing fine, then suddenly you find you're having heartburn for weeks or months, that, you know, that might be a problem. So pattern recognition would be one thing. And then, of course, regular follow-up with primary care is so important. You know, it can be tough to get into your primary care doctor given the the the, um, the demand at, at the present time. But very important, stay in tune or get referred to a specialist, the specialist of the gut, uh, meaning the esophagus, the stomach, the, the upper intestines, and the lower intestines is a, is a person called a GI doctor, uh, a gastroenterologist, and, and they're very skilled at identifying the subtleties between these conditions and helping fix them. The uh, 630 area code texts in a question. Uh, please ask the doctor about reactions to Paxlovid. I've taken three doses and have experienced a constant bad taste to the point where I can't even think about taking it without nausea. That's something that I haven't heard about uh, Paxlovid. Is that the case? Thank, thank, thank you for the question. Um, yeah, and any drug um, can have can have side effects, and, and unfortunately, bad taste um, is one of them. Now, in, you know, in the um, in the Paxlovid trials, about one percent or less had that side effect, um, and so you know, it's certainly not a common uh, side effect, but it, but it can happen. Uh, and and uh, the thing to do is basically to, I, what I would suggest if they were my my uh, patient is is you know first of all check in with your doctor you know there may be other symptoms the person's having uh, that that uh, that are uh, accompanying this that may be a, a red flag to stop the medication um, alternatively that this may be linked to something else and it's timing with the Paxlovid but very likely. It's a it's a symptom of the medication, and, and probably the thing to do is to stop it and talk to your doctor. Okay, 773-981-7200 is our phone number for your questions for Dr. Silver, uh, 312-981-7200 to call uh, in a question or uh, to text. 773, Eric, we get questions like this all the time during the segment about, uh, you know, where what I should be doing about vaccinations. Uh, COVID, flu shots, uh, RSV. What, what's the latest and greatest on uh, all of this? Where should people be to be up to date with vaccinations? Sure. So, you know, vaccination, obviously a, a hot button issue, a very personal issue. Um, what I can what I can tell folks, to, I'll talk generally and then I'll talk specific. So generally, what what is a vaccine? A vaccine is, is generally a killed version of the uh, of the pathogen. So let's say it's a virus. They kill the virus and make it dysfunctional um, and then inject it into the body and, and usually in the muscle of the arm. Uh, and then what happens is the, the body, the immune system, sees that uh, pieces of particles of that um, of that that pathogen and identifies it and says, guys, the next time you see anything that looks like this, kill it. And, and so they, the, the body develops these soldiers, if you will, to use the war analogy. Uh, and those soldiers kind of lie kind of ready, ready for action in, uh, in little pockets of the immune system that we call lymph nodes. And they're all over the body in the head and neck in the arms, the, the belly, the groin, and even the legs. 
And so then uh, months later, let's say, uh, your immune system is primed uh, and uh, you, you encounter, uh, let's say it's uh, RSV and you've had the vaccine, it immediately triggers this massive response um, the, you know, the, the Marines, the Air Force, the Navy, the Army of your body then goes and attacks the thing, and it, and it helps uh, prevent you from getting sicker. In some cases, it can prevent illness entirely. But in most cases, it's not going to prevent you from getting sick, but it's going to prevent you from getting really sick. Uh, and in the case of the most recent vaccine for COVID, for instance, um, it's very effective against the most uh, the most widely uh, circulating version, the JN.1, um, and it's effective against uh, severe severe infection, such as needing to be in the ICU or be intubated. Um, so so not too late. Certainly, flu is still circulating. So is RSV. So is COVID. Um, I wouldn't say we're in a triple demic at this point in time. The, the numbers are going down, but flu is actually still quite quite prevalent. Uh, and so, uh, so number one, it's good for you. Number two, it's good for grandma because we know the elderly don't have the same robust immune response that, that folks uh, in their younger years do. Uh, and so if you're around the elderly or, or a brand new baby, for instance, their, their immune uh, safety net is really you. Uh, and so it's a collective thing. It's something we refer to sometimes as herd immunity. When there's enough people that have either been sick and, and develop a natural immune response, which is very similar to the, the immunization response, uh, and those of us that have been immunized, we protect those that are vulnerable, those with immunocompromised conditions such as cancer or lupus, uh, those that are elderly, and, and those that are in, in the very beginnings of life, in their infancy, literally. Um, so, so vaccines are very effective, and, and they're effective against uh, a variety of, of, uh, of viruses and bacteria. Last week, uh, we had talked about uh, the number of, uh, you know, just general fitness and the number of steps that uh, a person should be doing daily in order to maintain, uh, a, you know, a, a proper uh, health uh, level. And uh, you, you had some follow-up uh, on the number of uh, steps that uh, you think people should be taking each day. Right. Thanks for bringing that up. I, I want to say that I stand corrected. I, I, I maybe misspoke or, or certainly um, have learned something since we, last, uh, since we last talked. So there was a study out of Northwestern that looked at, at folks and the number of steps. And, and to, to summarize it, if you're over 60, it looks like uh, the number is 6,000. Uh, that there was a significant reduction in cardiovascular uh, incidence, so things like stroke and heart attack, in people over 60 who were walking 6,000 steps compared to less. Um, and so it, it didn't really apply to anybody under 60, uh, and, I, and, and there's still some questions about what the right number is, but I, I, would, I would stick to what I said before, more is better. Um, but that number 6,000, if you're over 60, you may want to keep that in your head and, and try and shoot for that. Yeah, I was just uh, checking my, you know, how your your phone, uh, uh, you know, checks, uh, you know, supposedly uh, reads your your steps and uh, all that. Let me see how let's, let me see how I'm doing so far today. 72 today. I've done virtually nothing <laughs> today. So. Oh, this is embarrassing. I've, I've taken four. Not even 72. According to my stupid phone, 401 oh, steps today. Oh, that's, okay. that's nothing. 
Well, you only have well, you're, a, you're a certain percentage of the way there, so you know, look on the right. bright side. Yeah, you know? 50, only fifty five hundred more to go. <laughs> <laughs> apparently apparently i'm going to be walking to milwaukee after the show today go to kishwaukee yeah, go to kishwaukee and visit dr go. silver yeah exactly um the uh 407 area code uh there are long waits to see primary care and specialist doctors right now uh why is that is there a general shortage of physicians i've wondered that myself i've noticed that trying to make appointments as well Yes. The, the answer is yes. I, I, I think it can safely be said that, that a, a large percentage of the primary care, um, well, not a large, but a significant percentage of the primary care uh, physician population has been peeling off, particularly since the, the pandemic hit. Um, and, uh, and not enough of those slots are being filled um, by medical students for a variety of reasons. Uh, and so there are fewer primary care doctors. I think there's also more of, a, of an awareness in, in, the, in society that this is an important piece of, uh, of care. And so more people are seeking care. And so that, that, uh, that supply and demand equation is way off. Uh, so, it, 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 yes, that, that what they're feeling is real. The numbers bear it out. And, uh, you know, it's, it's unfortunate. I guess the, the only thing I would say is, you know, there's still a safety net in the emergency department. Uh, we don't turn anyone away ever. Uh, and so if you can't get in and you're really concerned, you can always come to the ER and we can at least try and help. And if we can't figure it out, we can at least try and coordinate care and maybe get that appointment pushed up. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a tricky times, really, since uh, COVID, uh, getting uh, appointments. But uh, emergency room is uh, a good option. And these uh, first responder offices now, uh, uh, you know, the, the medical attention offices. Uh, that urgent you, you care. Go, urgent care, right. You can go uh, right into those. So I also wanted to ask you about memory because... Uh, but I forgot to ask. That, I almost <laughs> forgot to bring it up. <laughs> um, it's, it's, you know, obviously headline news right now. It's clearly going to be an issue with the presidential campaign that's coming up. Uh, President Biden is 81 years old. Donald Trump is 77 years old. Uh, You know, there's been uh, lots of uh, heat on President Biden about misstatements that he's made. There have also been some uh, about Donald Trump being made right now as well regarding memory. Uh, How common uh, is that? I've noticed that. I'm not nearly either of their ages but i forget i'm forgetting more now than i i have when i was younger is that just you know part of the natural process and when does it actually become a concern yeah great great questions and not no easy answers that's for sure um i'm going to stay out of the political debate yes but i will say that um you know it's disconcerting um 40% 40% of us are going to experience some, some form of memory loss after we turn 65. That's a huge number. Um, you know, where, where it becomes a problem is when you, you can actually be diagnosed with, a, with an underlying process such as Alzheimer's dementia, which we've spoken of before, the most common form of dementia, dementia being the disease of, uh, of memory loss. Um, so, you know, between... Between, between the ages of 65 and 69, two in every 100 people will have dementia. And then after that, your risk uh, increases over time, roughly doubles every five years, um, so that by the time, if you, if you reach 90, uh, a third of people will have dementia. 
Um, it, honestly, it seems like the numbers are higher than that, but but that's uh, that's the data. So you know, the the key is is function functionality. Um, and so if if uh, if you're, it, it's obviously going to be difficult to diagnose in yourself. Uh, and denial is an extremely uh, strong um, component of, of the human psyche. And so even if you do see that you're, you're missing a step here and there, your, your, your brain is going to want to um, limit the risk for itself and say, you know, that's fine. It's just a, it was just a slip. So it really applies to the folks around you. Um, you know, if, if mom or dad is having trouble um, finding out how to get home in their car or they can't keep, they can't remember where they put their keys and it persistently is a problem, um, you know, things like mapping, um, memory of, uh, of, of people in the family, if they couldn't remember uh, who your sister was and, and that happens more than once, you know, those would be triggers to, to get them checked out by a neurologist to see if maybe there, there truly is dementia at play. Dr. Jeremy Silver, Medical Director, Emergency Medicine, Northwestern's Kishwaukee Hospital in DeKalb. Great to talk to you, and I hope you have a wonderful Sunday today, my friend. Thank you. Dean, great to talk to you again. Thanks for having me on the